Hey, big shout out to Magic Mind for being our sponsor and for creating a really great product. But check it out, folks. This is good stuff. Here's what people don't understand about eating disorders, disordered eating, and body dysmorphia. These people on the magazine who we are being told we should look like are specifically designing their bodies for that photo shoot. Now, I'm business partners with someone who competes in weightlifting professionally. And one of my very close friends is Tom Tewilliker, who won Mr. Olympia. What people don't understand is that they will spend months designing their body for one event, one competition. It's not real, is what I'm trying to say. But yet, as our expert, Ilona Phillips, she's here with us. We're going to talk about eating disorders. We're going to talk about disorder eating. We're going to talk about body dysmorphia, not just in girls. We're going to talk about it with boys. We're going to talk about it because it needs to be discussed. So welcome to another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you for being here. Let's jump into why won't they eat? Alona, what what is what is going on here? What is what is this? Thank you, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. You know, part of my mission is to really try to spread as much awareness as we can. There's so much stigma around eating issues. You mentioned boys. You know, they still carry more stigma around this because at some point, eating disorders were very much labeled as the problem of rich white girls. My practice will show you otherwise, right? We have plenty of diversity on our caseloads when treating uh, patients with eating disorders, and that includes men and boys. We got to talk about it. And, you know, you started with bodybuilding. This is rough. This takes a lot of sacrifice and a lot of unhealthy behaviors. Let's face it. I mean, we were not made, we were not born to chisel our bodies and change our bodies for competitions and other things. But I understand. And I have worked with Division One athletes, right? And I see this in certain sports. But we've also come a long way. We have coaches and educators who now know a lot more today about eating disorders, disordered eating, warning signs, all of these things. So we have made a lot of progress and we still have a long way to go. Let's start with that one then, because you talked about we weren't designed to look like that. So my question now is, what are we designed to look like? You know, I know we all have the middle school, kind of the baby fat still hanging there. And God, that's a crucial time. And I will say for the record, I really screwed it up with my daughter. I didn't call her fat. I didn't. I, I told her she was out of shape one time. She was. But my timing was as perfectly awful as it could have been. And she began to really suffer after I said that. Hold a lot of guilt about that. But what are we supposed to look like? Yeah, very good question. And I would actually put some of that back on you when you say you're out of shape. What did you mean by that? It sounds like you have reflected a lot and, and sort of would handle things differently at this point. And I appreciate that vulnerability because we, again, got to destigmatize this. What did you mean by that? We were hiking. She was consistently complaining and whining. My legs hurt. My legs hurt. My legs hurt. And I say, your legs don't hurt. Your legs are out of shape. That's what I said. Now, what I meant was you're stronger than this and you're not acting like you're stronger than this. I didn't mean your body needs to change, but that's what I said. I said, you're out of shape. Mm -hmm. So you wanted her to keep going. I wanted her to press that uncomfortable edge for triumph and success. And you know what? She finished that hike without saying another word to me, without looking me in the eye. And I knew I had screwed up. This is important because I have yet to meet a parent 
who was trying to actually hurt their kid, right? By commenting on their body, being out of shape, all of this. I do think that our own anxieties as parents feed into this, whatever your fear might be. Like, hey, if you're out of shape, you're not going to make this hike. If you are in a larger body, perhaps there will be stigma attached to, you know, in your life, you will deal with additional barriers. And we, let's face it, there is research showing us that people in larger bodies are viewed differently, even in job interviews. I could go on and on, right? So I get it. I get that as parents, we want the best for our kids. It's just that it can land the way you describe, right? I also believe very much in repair. We can do a lot of healing. We can always rewind, correct, you know, admit our mistakes and role model, role model how to repair, role model our own relationship with food and body. Like there's a lot of power we have, but I understand the anxiety. Let's take a break from this for a second. How did you end up doing this work? What got you into this? I grew up in uh, Eastern Europe. I grew up behind the Iron Curtain. And so there's a lot to that, a lot of restriction geopolitically, a lot of things. Also, it meant no access to mental health care. I mean, I think that U.S. certainly leads the way, always has, right? And even Eastern Europe has come a long way since. But my father uh, was shot and nearly died. And shortly after that, my sister actually developed an eating disorder. And there was no access to, to certainly at that point, no internet for one and two, no access to mental health care. And so, you know, I didn't know it then. Uh, I actually was in high school and I believe I would be a lawyer one day, yada, yada, and, and then ended up actually jobless and ultimately ended up in U.S., went to school here, grad school, yada, yada. I actually wanted to still be a lawyer when I was here in U.S., but then I had a couple of psychology classes that just changed my world. And so, you know, in my field, we often joke, right, that we are in this usually to do our own healing or healing for someone else. So here I am. I also come from a family like my father, uh, my uh, grandfather died of alcoholism. So, I mean, take your pick, you know, why am I here? And uh, there's also a lot of uh, crossover between addictions, eating issues oftentimes. And so... And I love it. Uh, I have loved it for uh, over a couple of decades, and, and it's definitely the right path for me. I probably should stop asking, how did you get here? Why do you do what you do? And just start asking, what childhood trauma are you healing? Like, you know, just straight out. Okay, let's, let's jump back in, because the question that came up for me is, when you are feeling fear, frustration, around your child's eating habits, around their lack of exercise or unwillingness to take care of themselves. What is the right thing to say? Oh, I want to say my daughter, she found a mentor for herself, asked to join. It was an eating disorder group. She became an advocate. She ended up in Washington talking about a reclassification of uh, mortuary terms, uh, you know, so that people could say this child died from an eating disorder, not liver failure. It's an eating disorder because it was still being misclassified. So she really took on the work. And I'm so proud of her because she was able to come back and say, Here's what you could have done that maybe I could have heard differently. So we've had the healing conversation, but that first time when the parent is mad, frustrated, sick of the child, just eating chicken sticks and bread and, you know, drinking monsters. And what's the first thing we do? What's the first thing we say when we're scared, mad, afraid? I think... This is a big conversation that I could take a lot of different directions. And 
I will say, for example, when we are refeeding kids with eating disorders, particularly with anorexia, high fat, high caloric diet is our best action that we can do to renourish the brain, right? So all food fits. And if there is no eating disorder in, in, at play and the parent wants to say this, I would say, can you pause and can you reflect on what, what is going on here? Like what, what fear do you have about the monster, the chicken nuggets, the whatever is happening here, right? We got to do our own work. And I say this also because one of the eating disorders that I treat is ARFIT. So that's a restrictive disorder that has three sort of causes, if you will, right? Root causes. One, a person who have never has never been interested in food does, can sort of take it or leave it. It's just they don't care for food. Uh, number two, folks who have sensory issues. So that can be also overlap with autism spectrum disorders, but not, not only. And then folks who were in some shape or form traumatized or had a difficult experience with food. So maybe vomited on food or saw someone vomit. And so they start avoiding foods, right? And for our fit, they then start selecting only a very narrow menu of options. And oftentimes it's actually chicken nuggets, it's French fries, so on and so forth. And we need them to keep fueling. We want to expand the options, but food is not inherently bad, right? So I think the number one thing that we have to remember, food is not good or bad because that can create dichotomy about people being good and bad. Listen, if you have fatal allergy to peanuts, then peanuts are bad for you, right? But for the rest of us, peanuts are not bad. Same thing with sugar, right? I will hear sort of the common fears like sugar bad, high fat bad. Not true. Like we don't actually have science showing that. And, and even if you look at athletes, right? Like finishing a race or trying to pump some energy in, you're going to put sugar in, right? Gummy bears, whatever it takes. Like it's a quick source of energy. They all end up broken down in the same place. So if that's what's triggering this, oh, you got to get off the couch. You cannot just eat this chicken or the monster, you know, drink monster. I would have parents reflect on what, what is the fear? What? And maybe, right? Maybe there's more going on for your kid. I mean, if your kid is not getting up, if you're you know, if they're spending all day eating and watching TV, they might be numbing something. They're, there's more going on. So we need to explore that. Like, are you enjoying this food? Are you actually tasting the food? Are you hungry? Right? Like we are born with hunger satiety cues, but diets and eating disorders distort that for us. And so we start trusting that. So if anything, you, you know, uh, if you really, I mean, I would actually advise parents to not comment on their child's food or body, period. But if you do, then maybe be curious. You know, if you feel like, there's no way they could be hungry, then maybe ask yourself, you know, did they eat enough for lunch? Maybe they truly are hungry. And who are we to say that they are not, right? Like, it would be like me asking you, are you really hungry? Are you really going to eat that? My daughter said to me, one of the things that you didn't do, dad, was say, how can I support you with this? You assumed I needed support and you tried to solve a problem, which made me think I had a problem which made me feel guilty, which made me want to restrict. There is a counterintuitive recovery process to eating disorders. So for example, when my daughter was attending the workshops, what I heard, and I wasn't against it. I mean, in, while she was going through it, I was doing my work and I was running a therapeutic company. So I knew better than, than to question the expert that my daughter was working with because that woman was the expert. I was an afraid dad. I was a scared father. So I knew better than to try to countermand what the therapist was saying. But my daughter would talk stories about like 
but she brought cupcakes in and we all had three cupcakes each and they were massive. They were covered in frosting. And in my mind, I'm like, how does that help? But I know on this side that a therapist isn't just going to eat cupcakes. A therapist is going to go, let's stop. What's coming up for us right now? How are we feeling about this? You talk about, you know, sugar's not bad. And my mind, even with my own current body state, is like, oh, how dare you say sugar's not bad? You're going against, but why is this so challenging for us to just eat and then stop when we're not hungry anymore? What is our problem? So there could be a lot of different reasons if folks don't stop once full. So we are born as hunger satiety cues, but again, eating disorders, um, disordered eating diet culture can distort this and they are thrown off. For folks in eating disorder recovery, we actually work on mechanical eating first. So they are literally eating on schedule, right? So we can restore them. Sometimes parents ask me, what about mindful eating, right? We can throw that in. But if you don't have hunger satiety cues intact, telling you when you're hungry, when you're full, or maybe aside from the extremes, like I'm starved and I'm really over full, then we got to restore them first. I'll tell you this, that at minimum, I tell folks, you got, I'm not a nutritionist. I work with them, but I'm not one. At minimum in recovery, we want to eat every three to four hours to stabilize fueling. It doesn't matter what the eating disorder is. It doesn't matter if it's anorexia, binge eating, bulimia. You want to stabilize the intake. You want to get on an even keel, nothing up and down, right? I mean, what you described sometimes could be part of binge eating. And with binge eating, I think this comes as a surprise to many folks. There's still some sort of restriction. If you dig deep, you will find out that that person maybe has myths about food and they are trying to restrict during the day and then they come home and they're starved. Who would not binge when starved, right? So I always tell, even with binge eating disorder, I say, how did you feel? What did you eat every three to four hours? How stabilized has your intake been? Because not only are we throwing off hunger satiety cues, we're also throwing off appetite, hormones. There's a lot that happens in the body, right? And, and it's, it's sort of any up and down is difficult to deal with, um, certainly when it comes to intake. There's a lot of online forums for teenagers that tend to support eating disorders and disordered eating. You would think that that's kind of a phenomena, except it's also there for cutting it's sure, and self-harm. It's certainly there for the marijuana culture. I'm sorry, the cannabis culture. So, so let's talk about these online. How do we talk to our kids about those online support groups that are saying, you know, this isn't hurting anybody else. And and if you do it well, and if you do it right, don't worry, you'll just look good. Yeah, that's a really tricky one. I mean, we know how powerful social media is, right? And, and advertising, I mean, they pour billions of dollars into this, both, you know, advertisers and sort of diet industry, but then also our peers. It's very influential. We know, I mean, you know, social media has a bad rep for a reason. We know the stats, we know how they're targeting their users, so on and so forth. So it's twofold, right? Like, it's really important what we teach at home about bodies, about food, helping to raise kids that are resilient. We will not eliminate and eradicate diet industry. We will not eradicate social media, right? So I think we can take a lot of notes from what, what I at least have seen at the University of Michigan. We have a really strong base for health educators who work around substance use, right? And they, they know better. They know they're not gonna stop drinking on college campuses or drug use, but they are really effective 
in education sort of preemptively without preaching, doing it in a language and way that really resonates with students and young folks, right? And so we kind of got to do the same thing. We got to teach social media or media literacy, right? How do you consume that? Um, not a big fan necessarily of micromanaging our kids, but hopefully you know where your kid has been when they're online. We just got to keep an eye on it. Those young brains are developing, right? And if we can delay some of this uh, exposure, it's really, really helpful. Hey folks, I want to share with you a product I've been trying out lately. Uh, it's called Magic Mind. It's a natural nootropic drink that helps with focus. I've been trying it alongside my morning coffee. Uh, it has cut down on my caffeine consumption and I really do stay more focused and get a lot more done during the day. So if you're looking for a new drink to try out, I would recommend it. It's extremely healthy. It's filled with the, all the kinds of stuff you want you and your kids it's also available at sprouts uh, check it out get it on amazon it's an amazing product and big thanks to magic mind for being our first sponsor why don't i like my body why don't people like their bodies how come we don't see our bodies the way other people see it like that that's that's a tough one because other people see me differently than i see myself why yeah, and that is, you are asking me such wonderful, wonderful questions. There are not, that there are no simple answers to that. But let me give you sort of a little bit of where I would go with that. And that is certainly when there is a full-blown eating disorder, like anorexia, we know someone with anorexia will look in a mirror and see totally something different than there is. And so it's no secret that sometimes part of the treatment are low-dose antipsychotics. You literally are seeing things that are not there right? Body image improves, actually, and it's, it's one of those last struggles that go. The body image can improve with regular fueling and sufficient fueling. So that's number one. When I work on body image with folks, number one, number one step is going to be, how is your fueling? Are you fueling regularly? That, 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 that's what I mean about the counterintuitive concept. It's like, wait a minute, if I eat more, then I think I have to eat. I'm going to like my body better. Like I already struggle with it because I think I eat too much. And now you're telling me if I create a regular cycle of eating, I'm going to feel better about how I look like what? Yeah. And I'm so glad you're saying this because if you're thinking this, parents are thinking this elsewhere as well, right? Regulating your eating, stabilizing your eating doesn't mean you might end up eating more. You might. I don't know what your food intake looks like and what your body really needs. But for some folks, it actually ends up being less, right? So it depends what's your starting line. It's about stabilization. And there's more. So when I do body image work, number one, make sure that food intake is stabilized. I don't care what your, again, eating disorder or disordered eating presentation is. Let's make sure you're eating every three to four hours. There is enough. Work with a non-diet dietitian if you're confused, like how much you should be eating, right? The shoots are creeping in. And remember, forbidden fruit is our biggest enemy because you tell me I can't have chocolate chip cookies, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, heck yeah, I'm going to have them and I'm going to have a lot of them, right? Or you're going to scare me so much that I'm going to obviously go into restriction. And, and the scary part is that folks who are biologically pre-wired for eating disorders, that restriction can ultimately, because of negative energy balance, end up in a serious eating disorder, right? So, so there are a lot of eating disorders, a lot of trajectories that we could go to. But when I do body image work, one, stabilize the food intake, Number two, make sure that you eliminate body checking. Guess what that is? 
That means weighing yourself, feeling your stomach rolls, looking in the mirror, you know, looking at the... I, I was doing great with the first one. I haven't stepped on a scale in years, but then you said the body rolls. I was like, literally, while we were talking, I was like, how come I think this is... Because I had a diet done it yeah. during See? this call. There you go. And I so appreciate your honesty because it is so pervasive. We do this all the time. Look in a mirror, you're passing shopping center, right? You're looking in, in their mirrors and suddenly, you know, you were doing fun. You were going about your day and then you look and look what it did to your mood. So we have to stabilize food intake, eliminate body checking. It's hard. That, that's a hard habit to break because it does come up so automatically, as you said. And then when that is stabilized, guess what? We can go fishing for, for, I always say the body image issues are just a sort of, um, I don't know if metaphor is the right word, but there's usually a deeper issue behind it. an issue. Like if you tell me you're ashamed of your body and you tell me that you have stabilized your intake and you have eliminated body checking. Now I have your brain working sort of at its optimum, hopefully. And I can go fishing for where in your life do you feel ashamed? I can't do that when you're too distracted because when we restrict, for example, right, our mind will be preoccupied with thoughts of food, our body, yada, yada. So I can't ask you effectively that question when you are that distracted by disordered eating, body shame, other things. But when we have stabilized that, I can now go fish with you, if you will, for the bigger story, if you will. Does this make sense? So much so. And, and obviously, here's the beautiful thing that if we figure out where in your life else, where else you feel ashamed, we can go fix it, right? Like, did you do something wrong? Do we need to make amends? Do we, what do we need to do? We can actually problem solve that. I know parents who listen to this show will have a question about the food that I, as a parent, am going to buy and bring home and put in my cabinets. I asked my kid, what do you want? I'm going to the store today. What do you want? And they say, I want a case of monsters, get those, you know, chicken dinos, uh, grab some, you know, French fries, the stuff that my mind automatically tightens around, right? God, I, I just got to say, both my kids are you know, out of the house, married. They got, my, my son has his own kid now. They're going to the grocery store for themselves. But I know that the parents have that tension because you see them eating things that you don't want them to eat. They ask you to buy it when you go to the store. We buy it because we're afraid if we don't buy it, they won't eat. At all. And we would rather them, yeah, that we would rather them eat this crap than not eat at all and go buy from a vending machine at school, which they may be doing anyway. Well, and then and, and that's the thing. That's the thing. I mean, it's an important point too, that kids will do what they will do. You know, listen, would I want my kids to always just eat candy? No. And here's why. They're, they would be sluggish, right? Like it would, it would be up and down. They need balanced diet. And I don't, I'm not using this the way Weight Watchers would or like, I want to be sure that they're getting some proteins, carbs, right? Like all the, like we know carbs are important for mood. We know carbs are important for breaking down protein. So, and also my kids would not want to eat candy around the clock because they know they can have candy anytime. The moment we restrict it, right? Again, that's that chocolate chip cookie. And by the way, there is a book by Janine Roth, Breaking Free from Compulsive Eating or Overeating that talks about this, right? If I, if I tell you, be sure that from here on, for next 10 days, you eat nothing but chocolate chip cookies. You're going to be tired. So do I buy a bag of candy? Do I get them the chicken nuts? Oh, absolutely. 
if they want a bag of candy, buy them a bag of candy. They're not gonna live for the rest of their life just eating bag of candy. See, this again, this is like that counterintuitive. No, you gotta control the cabinets. You gotta make sure you only buy organic food. You gotta blah, blah, blah. And they go to school and they raid the machine. They will steal money out of your purse and raid the candy machine at school because obviously if they didn't eat breakfast and they didn't eat lunch and they raid the candy machine, their body's going to be craving the high sugar because they need the energy and the carbs because and blah. And so that's the chemistry of the dis-ease that begins to take over. That's right. Exactly. And and you're bringing an important point. I remember last year, a kid in my one of my kid's classroom buying chocolate from her because he couldn't have it at home. But he has plenty of money, so he, he was just... It was a great deal because many kids were selling him chocolate for a really great price. Oh, my wife is in so much trouble. So is my doctor. They've both been lying to me. No. I mean, obviously, they're, I'm 54 years old. A bag of chocolate and only eating candy is more detrimental to me, right? I'm on statins to keep my cholesterol low. I've got the quintessential dad bod where I'm strong up top and I carry the muffin top in the middle. My wife and I were going to call our travel blog because we travel all, all over muffin top adventures, right? Now, while that is fun and while that would sell on YouTube, that's still me checking my body, isn't it? Absolutely. And here's the thing. Muffin top, as you called it, is really important in menopause, for example. The body on purpose will pull, right, more weight, more fat to that area to be actually protective as changes of menopause happen. So it's also about trusting the body, right, to do what it, what it needs. And I was just, I recorded recently, and it will be on my YouTube soon, a little bit of a spiel on BMI, right, body mass index, and how ridiculous it is because it's just our height and weight and whatnot, and how athletes would fall into obese category, and how uh, we are sort of like randomly deciding what is overweight and what is obese, and like who decide when we know some folks have heavier bones, right? Like African-American folks tend to have heavier bones. That means their weight goes higher, but we have no correlation to health impact in a negative way. We certainly though know that, right, if there's an eating disorder and certain anorexia, folks can die of these disorders, right? The heart suffers. Folks with anorexia often have high cholesterol, which is hyperlipidemia. And if you have an uneducated provider, they could say, well, you got to cut out high fat things. That would be the worst thing you can do. And I understand what I'm talking about, that some of these are extremes, right? But we really have to question, where did we learn these myths? You know, what, is that really true? And you were talking about muffin top and whatnot, right? Like sometimes folks gain weight in the midsection because of stress. So like, that's also an opportunity to reflect. Like if, if, if your life is full of cortisol everywhere, that's a whole different level of work. So the BMI is bullshit. Yeah, it was it was developed in Europe in like 1830, and it was just a statistical measure to for white men in France and England. You know, it was just uh, it's basically height divided by weight, whatever. But it measures nothing. It, it's not. It doesn't tell you anything about somebody's health. I mean, Tom Brady is overweight. I don't know. I mean, listen, I don't know anything about his health, but I'm assuming you know he's pretty active, right? He probably has good medical care. All of these. So I would not assume that he's unhealthy, even though he's overweight because of BMI. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. We can simplify. Yeah, but now we're we're sitting here talking like this and and 
obviously we're, this is, this is the intellectual way. And obviously we are dealing with parents, teachers, and clinicians listening to the show who know this stuff. I know this stuff. I ran a treatment facility. We had a nutrition program for kids. We dealt with kids with disordered eating. My own body dysmorphia through the years and in the gym and out of the gym for an injury and having martial arts and out of martial arts for an injury and the constant stress. And now I'm going to do keto and now I'm going to do this because I want to live to be 120 years old. So somewhere within all of this was a good idea. Somewhere. Somewhere in the BMI, somewhere in all this is a good idea, but it keeps leading us down these roads to misery and dysmorphia and a psychosis around how we think we look. Like I, I saw a picture on Reddit the other day of a woman who is suffering brutally from anorexia. I, she is a walking skeleton with skin and she's in treatment. And you just look at it. How did you get there? And the same thing that, that people who are experiencing extreme obesity, how did you get there? Because and they both talk about it. It's like one day I just woke up and realized it had gone too far. And it's like, so the whole time you were asleep and the answer is, yeah. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we start this conversation with our kids, with ourselves that really brings us home to our bodies that we say, are you awake or are you sleepwalking through eating? A lot of things here. I will say that for anorexia in particular, we also know that osanosha is part of it, which means you do not know how sick you are. So unfortunately, someone with anorexia will not know how ill they are. And so that's where actually... Is that true with extreme obesity as um, well, when we're in the 400s Yeah, I wouldn't say that. I think that... Um, so we don't... I don't see it with folks that are in, in the obese category, the same sort of experience. But, but, but what I think is really important, number one, is to underscore that nature and nurture matter, right? How is the environment responding to it? What are our genetics? Is there a history of trauma? right? We know that we can cope with food just like we cope with substances. So you want to explore all of those things. But I also want to be clear that there are plenty of folks in larger bodies who don't have history of trauma and also there's nothing wrong with their health, right? So we also have to check our own fat phobia coming forward if we see a person on the street of a different body and sort of what the judgments that come up for us like, oh, this person must be XYZ. I don't know that. Let's focus on Hmm, I wonder what their life journey has been, or I wonder what their pain points are or what their joys are, right? Like, let's go back to the human connection, if you will. I know that sounds a little bit hokey, but generally, and I mean, listen, I don't do union psychoanalysis, right? But Jung, Jung talks about shadow work and how we project our own fears, right? And so if I was taught that fat is bad and that fat means that my life will be miserable or whatever, I will be projecting that onto others. And so we, again, we got to do our own work and we have to really watch for our conclusions that we jump to or assumptions about people, particularly when we don't know anything about their life or their health or, and at a very basic level, I don't care what size you are. Like, it doesn't matter to me. You know what I mean? Like, right, this is not why you and I are talking because of your size. I know that's, again, uh, reductive, but like, it's right here, right? It's the, the human connection. It's I want to know about your life. I don't, I don't care what body you're in. I mean, unless it brings you pain, then of course. We, we always say, and I've always said in this podcast, connection before correction. And if you don't have the connection, nothing 
Nothing else is coming from this. There you go. And your daughter was telling you that. Very clearly. At first, yeah, the the whisper, the shout, the slap. And and she did so well with it. She, she just took total ownership of it. And I would still like to be a better model for both my kids, my grandkid, you know, about, you know, I, I, I just have to say, talking to you, I, I think I really struggle to trust my body still. I'm 54 years old and I'm, you wrote, it's, it's, I have it all my notes, you know, what, what I'm going to call the show and everything like that. And I wrote down, trust the body. And I was saying earlier on a podcast that I was being interviewed on. It's like when I call Amazon or when I make an order on Amazon online, I don't, do I call them and say, did you get my order? Yeah, we got it. I hang up and I call them and I say, did you put the order on the truck? Yeah, we got it. Hey, did, did the truck leave? Yeah, we got it. Hey, is the truck on the way? Yeah, it is. Hey, is my truck here? Yeah, it is. And then they call me and say, did you get the product? Because I trust Amazon. And apparently I trust Amazon more than I trust my own body because I keep checking in with my body constantly in those mirrors, grabbing my fat folds, wondering if I should have a dad bod or if I should be on the keto diet again. And it drives me crazy and it makes me sad because that's still the legacy that I'm promoting. And I, that's my work. That's not my, my son's work. That's not my daughter's work. That's mine. And I really, really appreciate that. I mean, there's a lot of history in this. Uh, I feel sad, but I also feel optimistic, right? This will be work. This will be work to resist that impulse to do that. And listen, some, sometimes folks say, I can't, I can't love my body. And listen, they're also, I want to also emphasize, when we say trust your body, it can be hard because folks have histories of trauma, Folks have serious illnesses, and so it's hard to say, trust your body, right? But we're going to do our best to, you don't have to go to body love from body hatred or distress. You don't have to go to body love. I'm just going to say, can you start practicing gratitude? And listen, it, this is not kumbaya, Pollyanna kind of thing. It's what are you grateful for today uh, when it comes to your body? And you might say, I'm just grateful for my feet that took me to visit my grandkids. Or I'm grateful for, I don't know, my eyes that are here on the podcast, right? Like honest, genuine gra gratitude, right? If nothing else, body acceptance. And there is a book, wonderful book called This Body is Not an Apology that, you know, might help as well. The other one, when folks are sort of questioning diets and Listen, it's a billion dollar industry. One diet comes, next next goes, you know, it, it's a mess, right? If they all worked, we all would all be running here, apparently all skinny, who knows? But they obviously don't work and I'm going to get a flag for it. But the problem is that you're also changing your set point, right? So if you were sort of designed to be certain weight, every time you diet, you know it, when folks diet, then they gain back the weight and they gain a little bit more. They're resetting what we call their set point. So, so it's, it's such a conundrum and it's, it's all, I know this is a strong word, but it's basically abusive toward our body. It's like, would you try to change the size of your foot? And if you do, right, like there's so much here around body image work and I, you know, uh, uh, folks can join me for workshops around that, but you know, there's often meaning attached to it that if I, if I do lose that muffin top, or if I have that dad bot, then what, what then play with me for a minute? What then? I don't have an answer for you. I haven't thought that far past that I'm supposed to not like how I look. I think if I sit with it, I think that part of the dad bod, that if I was to lose it, it means I'm less stressed. It means I'm 
you know, visiting the gym regularly, which I haven't been. I have a back injury right now that I've been dealing with, which makes me feel ashamed because the gym is my primary stress reduction and my go-to morning thing. And it's been months because I'm hurt. And I hurt myself in the gym and I'm frustrated about that. So now I feel the frustration emerge and I feel, but you, when you said what next, I was an absolute blank. So what, what, what if I have cut abs? Will my wife love me more? No. Will my kids respect me more? No. So what, <laughs> what is it? One, number one, I'm sorry about your back. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with going to the gym if that's driven by, I want to be stronger. I want to sort of, you know, have good good level of energy, all of this. And then I understand the frustration when you can, right? Because you said it's a stress reliever, all of these things. But also folks do attach. It's that hope, right? That maybe if we do change something, that maybe we will be more lovable. It is often attached to it. The, the sad part, I'm not saying anything new here, right? Then when we get there, it's often not true. Because now you might also have an eating disorder on top of it and people don't love you any less or more as a result of it. But I absolutely appreciate the human desire to, on one hand, it kind of comes down to connection, right? Will I be loved and respected more? Will I be valued? I have empathy for that and, and sort of appreciation for that drive or desire. Are there other ways to get there? Meaning, if you're really not loved, do we need a, a sort of family of choice? Like what is happening there, right? If I don't feel love, let's really explore why is that? That's a different separate kind of work. All right. How, this was spectacular. How are parents going to get in touch with you? How's my audience going to follow up with you? Yeah. So um, best way to reach me for eating issues is ilonaphillips.com. So I-L-O-N-A Phillips, P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S.com. Or they can find me at Lotus Consulting in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We're gonna. I'm gonna have you back. That was spectacular. I, I really think that there's so much more we could unpack, and I, I'm not sure we did justice, right? Because it's layered. I heard a quote about the body while Ilona was talking. It came up. I wrote it down right under trust the body, right under environment, nature, and nurture, right next to fat phobia and BMI bullshit. Stabilize the food intake. Stop body checking. And dig deeper. Go really go fishing. I wrote down a quote I had heard a while back because what she was saying, the golden thread, folks, that I heard her say fit this quote. And the quote is this, you can't hate your body into something you love. That's a big one because we try. We really try. I don't go to the gym because I hate my body. I go to the gym because I love myself. And I want to believe and I hope that every time I've tried a diet or listen to my doctor and cut out this food and added this food, because I have high cholesterol. I'm 54 years old. I have a genetic thing around the cholesterol and I gotta watch it. I'm on a statin. I take something that doesn't let the cholesterol, you know, it absorbs the cholesterol or doesn't let my body absorb. I'm on another pill, but I don't hate my body. I don't trust my body. But that's the realization is that there's the line. And if your kid is struggling, if you're struggling, first focus on your own struggle first, because kids who have parents who focus on their struggles and not their own, guess what your kids grow up and do? They focus on other people's struggles and not their own. That's monkey see, monkey do right there. And we know this, parents. That's every single show. But really, our first job is to find the line. Where did this really start? It didn't start with the monster drinks and the bag of chocolate. That's where it ended. Where does it start? And you know what you're going to find down there. And that's why we avoid actually having that conversation. That's the scary. That's when we're talking about the abandonment. 
the abuse, the assault, the addiction. Those are scary. And we know that. Parents definitely follow up on her website. I'm going to say her website again. Ilona Phillips, I-L-O-N-A-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S.com. Go to her website, follow up with her. And if any time we've needed to say this, it's at this show. Because we say this every show. Take care of yourselves first, your adult relationship second, and your children third. Because that's how you're going to do your best work with your children. Big love to Deepin Productions for making the show sound good. And I'll see you next week on Beyond Risk and Back. Big thanks to Magic Mind for sponsoring this episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Uh, I really like the stuff. You got to check it out.